while you keep your Bibles open to Matthew 21, um, if you would mark uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, we're going to look at a couple of verses there. We're also going to look at a verse in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to come back to Matthew 19. So we're going to move around a little bit this morning. We'll keep coming back to Matthew 21, though. So Mark 9, then we'll look at Hebrews 11, then we'll look at Matthew 19, and um, all the while kind of letting those feed into this text here in Matthew 21. So making our way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we have uh, found ourselves now in the, the week of passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray together and again ask the Lord to help us today. Father, the, the lesson here from Christ today is, is about faith. And Lord, faith is an absolute necessity to begin this Christian life because we are saved by grace through faith and to continue this Christian life being sustained by our trust and our allegiance, our fidelity to you, to your word, to your promises. It's how we live. We live by faith. And Father, we, we confess, we admit today that our faith is often weak, our faith is often faltering, our faith is often neglected. So we just ask, God, that as we study this passage together, you would renew in us an appetite and a hungering for great faith as your people to not only live as the people of God in this world, but to shine brightly to those around us of what the true gospel is and what it means to be a follower of Christ, how to live, how to survive a fallen world, a life that's short and full of trouble without being overcome, without being beaten down, without being paralyzed by fear, but yet being bold and courageous and loving, making the most of the time. So, Father, we, we ask for help today that you would do a, a marvelous work you, that you often do. Your word goes out. It does not return void. It accomplishes exactly the purpose for which you send it. So we're praying today that that purpose would be great and grand and glorious and mountain-moving in, in our hearts and our lives and our marriages and our church and our community. We always need you, Father, and we, we feel that, Lord, even more so when we come to your word that it might be 
understood, it might be communicated, it might be received accurately, faithfully, wonderfully, miraculously. So we need you. And we praise you because you're faithful to your word and you're faithful to your people. We give you the glory now for what you will accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. So in verse 18, we are now in the Monday of the week of Passion. In just four days from this text, Jesus will be condemned and executed by crucifixion. The events of Sunday that we've just finished studying, the events of Sunday serve to reaffirm and reinforce that Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Son of God from heaven in the man Jesus, leaving no doubt from his actions, from the scripture, from the testimony of others. And in these final days of Jesus' ministry, we will see that, that two dominant themes will emerge. First, there will be an escalation of the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. Their aggravation with Jesus, their frustration with Jesus coming in, as we said, and kind of, from their perspective, taking over the temple... That will turn to detest, they will detest Jesus, that will turn and eventually end with a plot to kill Jesus, which in their minds is a successful plot and scheme. Second, Jesus, simultaneously with this escalation of confrontation, there's this escalation of Jesus pouring as much training and equipping and teaching into his disciples as possible. He teaches them over and over again. He's preparing them for gospel kingdom ministry that he has initiated, that he has begun, so that in the days ahead when he will ascend back to the heaven, the ministry, they will be well equipped and ready to do so. So today's text is one of those final crucial lessons if we could say these are kind of the the final the final teachings of of Jesus to his disciples so Jesus is on his way to Calvary he understands he's on his way to Calvary these are the words these are the lessons that Jesus feels and knows that his disciples need the most they'll need these things these these become essential and, and crucial for his disciples. When we look at it in that light, they, they are every bit as crucial and essential for us today as they were back in those final four days for Jesus' disciples. Because now it is our awesome privilege, it is our awesome responsibility, it is upon us now as present-day followers of Christ we are called to advance the kingdom through gospel ministry. So these lessons that Jesus understood his disciples really needed to hear one more time are lessons that we will need to hear one more time as we live this life for our Lord and Savior. It's really no surprise then 
that one of these final lessons would be a lesson on faith. After all, as I said in our prayer, this is where life in Christ begins. But it is also how the Christian life proceeds, how we live this Christian life. Not only how we enter the Christian life, but how we live it, how we survive it, how we thrive as the people of God in a world that has fallen away from God. We live by faith. We minister to one another. We minister to unbelievers by faith. We serve one another by faith. We grow in the Lord. We grow in grace by faith. We witness. We become witnesses. We share the gospel by faith. Everything we do is done with a, a, a trusting and a reliance upon the Lord, upon His grace, upon His faithfulness. Faith is to the believer as, as oxygen to the lungs. It's, it's how we move from day to day. There are kind of two ways that the Scripture speaks of faith. There's, there's what the Scripture refers to as the faith. The faith is the, the doctrines of the Scripture that we, that we hold, that we cherish the truths of Scripture that God has revealed to us upon which our salvation rests. It's the faith. It's the, it's the collection of, of truths in Scripture about God, about man, about salvation, about Christ, about the cross, about eternity. The truths, the, the faith that we hold dear. Having faith is how we put the faith into practice. It's how we take the doctrines that we stand upon, that we live upon, that we're anchored in, and how we flesh those out in our day-to-day living. The faith then refers to the, to the content, what we believe. Having faith refers to living out those doctrines that we hold dear, that Christ is Lord, that Christ is Savior, that Christ has set me free. It's how we live that out. So you have content and you have practice. And it's that latter definition of faith which Jesus is teaching on in this text. So let's walk through this and ask the Lord to grow us in our faith as we do so. First of all, we... We see this play out between faith and figs. Faith and figs. I love a good pack of fig newtons. I don't know about you, but they're some of my favorite. I have to restrain myself. I I love them so much. And Jesus here curses a fig. The fig tree appears to have fruit, but it has none. So Jesus causes it to wither for appearing to have what it does not have. This is a hypocritical fig tree so from now on this particular fig tree won't deceive anyone else no one will be swayed by the leaves that appear on this fig tree to believe that this fig tree is full of figs and can nourish and can provide food the hungry will never go to these branches ever again seeking sustenance only to come away empty That'll never happen to anyone else again. 
Jesus says, May no fruit ever come from you, and the fig tree withered at once. Now, if you just take that story in isolation, what a story, right? Quite a story. And you might think, wow, is Jesus that temperamental? <laughs> you might think, you know, we just studied about the temple. That happened just the previous day. Is Jesus still angry about the temple? I mean, does it take just a little inconvenience to kind of set him off? Should you walk on eggshells around Jesus fearing that any moment you might step out of line and find yourself like that fig tree receiving the same response of course we know the answer to all those questions is an immediate no Jesus is in complete control of his emotions he's not like us he doesn't have outbursts of anger or rage or impatience he doesn't act on the cuff on the fly and the temple he was confronting sin now that's a different matter the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all unrighteousness and sin we we saw that in the temple the the wrath of God against sin especially sin that belittles God Now, that's a different thing than just walking by a fig tree and seeing no fruit and saying, okay, you'll never have any fruit again in the the fig tree withering. But what's happening here? With a fig tree, Jesus is providing a very vivid illustration, so much so that the disciples, they would not forget this one. This would stick with them. In fact, Matthew records it here. They'll never forget about this fig tree. As Jesus taught in parables, remember the parable is is conveying a spiritual truth with earthly word pictures. And when Jesus would do that, it would enable his disciples to be able to grasp those things that we can't see by telling stories about things that we can see. That was kind of, uh, for the believer anyway, that's how parables would work. Well, Jesus also taught spiritual truth in his miracles. His miracles, divine intervention, would also convey spiritual truth. And, And this event is nothing short of miraculous, by the way. Jesus simply spoke to the tree. Don't, don't gloss over that too quickly. By wondering, why did Jesus do that? Don't, let's not go too quickly over what exactly Jesus did. Which is, he just told the tree. He's speaking to a tree. An inanimate object. And he says, not again. And it withers. Nothing short of miraculous. He simply spoke. Well, that's what God does, right? He speaks and things happen. He spoke and the world came into existence. He speaks and this fig tree withers immediately. Jesus is using this event to press upon his disciples in a remarkable way that they will not forget because they'll never forget seeing that. So he's pressing upon his disciples the urgent necessity of faith. 
You have to have faith, just like this tree has to have figs. (laughs) You have to have faith. You have to have faith in this Christian life. Living for the kingdom of God, living for the gospel, extending the gospel requires faith. Living in this world as a believer requires faith. Serving God, living for God in this life requires us to live by faith. So faith in figs, a vivid illustration. And then we move to faith in mountains. Faith and mountains. So the disciples, they see this, and you see there in, the, in verse 20, they marveled. So, of course, they are shocked. They, they kind of are taken back. They, they stand back, and, and they, they say, how did the fig tree wither at once? Which is remarkable. By, we, often, we often are down on the disciples for, for being so surprised and shocked at the things that Jesus does as if they should not be surprised and shocked when a fig tree withers immediately. But we think, you know, you guys have seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with just one meal from his hands. Why are you still shocked? But kind of another way to look at it is why aren't we amazed? Why, aren't, why don't we marvel at our Lord continuously as the disciples? And they said, how, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus goes into this illustration then with the mountain. The city of Jerusalem is surrounded by seven hills or mounts or mountains. So Jesus could have been pointing to any one of these when he uses this illustration, gives this object lesson to the disciples. But what exactly does Jesus mean by this? Again, I'm suggesting, I believe Jesus is using a miraculous event of the fig tree to illustrate a spiritual truth, just as he uses parables to illustrate spiritual truths. So does God call us and save us and indwell us with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can curse trees and relocate mountains? So that we can go out and say, I don't want Paris Mountain to be there. Let's, let's put it here. Is that, is, is that the, the essence and height of the Christian life, having the ability to be, to be giant earth movers? And you know... How silly that seems, right? We, we don't think kingdom work involves reshaping uh, the geographical landscape. Now, some of us wish that could be, right? Kind of wish you could walk outside and say, grass, cut, and it would be cut. But it doesn't work. Garden, grow, and it would grow. Or garden, plant, and it would plant, and those kind of things. I think it means actually something greater than going around and moving things. The mountain here represents an immovable object. And an immovable object means that removal of it is an impossibility. It's an impossibility. How did the fig tree wither 
at once. Well, that's an impossibility. Jesus says, well, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you not only do what's been done to the fig tree, that's, that's minor. That's just a fig tree. I, I, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will be, it will happen. In this life, and especially living for the Lord in the Christian life, if you have a zeal for the Lord and a desire to please Him and a pursuit of holiness in your life and a burden for the lost, we will encounter obstacles that are humanly impossible to move. Humanly impossible. Here's a few that come to mind. It may be people who are coming against us, as I'm sure our friend in Myanmar feels today, that he lives in an impossible situation. It may be thoughts that bombard us. It may be circumstances that prevent us from following God's direction in our life. It may be tragedies that occur in our life that send us reeling. It may be lies that have been spoken, and once they have been spoken and believed, they cannot be reversed. It may be relationships that just cannot be reconciled. It may be addictions that just cannot be conquered. It may be sinful desires. It may be selfish pride that just will not give way. It may be hurts and heartaches that just never seem to diminish. There are hundreds of immovable objects and obstacles that seem impossible to remove and cast aside and throw into the sea, we will face in this life, in this world, as we live for Jesus. And some of you, right down in the bottom of your heart right now, you've whispered an amen because you've got one. I whispered an amen. So what are we to do? It's an immovable object. It's impossible to move. Well, what are we to do? Are we to live in misery and defeat and anger and bitterness? Do we give up? Do we settle? Do we decide, well, this must be God's will? Or worse, do we decide, God must be against me? Or God must not be aware? No, Jesus says, take another look at the fig tree. Take another look at that fig tree and believe. Have faith and do not doubt. That immovable object to your ministry, to your calling, to your growing in the Lord, to your witness to others, to your service to the Lord, it can be moved, but it requires faith. And that's why the title of the message today is Faith is What Makes the Difference.
between a mountain that can't be moved and a mountain that just moved. Faith in mountains. Let's keep going. Faith in prayer. Jesus says in verse 22, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. It's not only in the Christian life itself, in living in the Christian life itself, where faith makes the difference, but it's also in the greatest activity of the Christian life where faith makes the difference. The Christian activity of prayer. And I believe it makes all the sense in the world. The connection is there, right there for us. I believe Jesus goes straight from from moving mountains to prayer because when we face mountains in our lives, we should be going straight to prayer. Straight to prayer. It's in the solitude of our prayer time. That's where the major battle rages. The faith to move the mountains is one in embracing the faith Finding faith in the prayer closet. It's in, the, in that solitude of prayer where that battle for faith rages and the lines are drawn and they're drawn concerning faith. By taking us to prayer then, Jesus is giving us direction. He's directing our faith. So when he says, speak to this mountain and it'll be removed, he goes straight to prayer, prayer to remind us that it's not about us. He takes us to prayer. We, we don't aim faith at the mountains and we're not having faith in our ability to say and do big things, our ability to say and do big things. We aim our faith to God. We, we, the object of our faith is God and Christ and the gospel That's where we point our faith, though that's why we bow our head. Whatever we ask, Jesus says, whatever you ask, in other words, whatever immovable mountain needs to be removed. Prayer, the the very essence of prayer is coming to a realization that there's, there's things that are above us and beyond us and we need the grace and help of God. So we beseech him, we beg him, we plead with him, we seek him, we ask, we knock. Whatever you ask, whatever immovable mountain needs to be removed, whatever impossibility needs to be made possible, whatever you ask in prayer. In other words, before you speak to the mountains, speak to God. That's the source of your faith. So prayer means what we're doing, we're we're asking God to do the very thing that we know is beyond us to do. And right there, when we go to prayer and we're asking God for things that are beyond us, it's right there, right on that spot where faith is absolutely necessary, but sadly is often absent. Let's, let's just be 
absolutely honest before the Lord and just think about the last time we were praying for great and mighty and miraculous things from the Lord in the bottom of our hearts, did we really believe it could happen? I know we said, I know we said it, but did we believe it? Right there, when we're asking God to do the very thing we know is impossible for us to do, right there is where faith is required, and right there is where it's often absent. That's precisely where the battle rages, and that's precisely where the battle is won in the prayer closet. Right there at the convergence of our inability and God's ability if it is apparent that this mountain is impossible to move and we described a few mountains earlier if it's apparent that this mountain is impossible to move I mean we've tried we've cried we've prayed we've read books about it we've gone to seek counsel about it we've heard sermons about it we've memorized scripture about it We've ignored it. We've hoped it would go away on its own. We've done everything we know to do to move this mountain. It just won't move. It's not going anywhere. So when we pray about it, there's that little voice sitting there, that little whisper of doubt inside. As we're even asking the God of all possibilities to do what we can't do, there's that little voice of doubt Inside the heart whispering, it's not going anywhere. You've tried everything. The battle is between what we know we can do and what we trust God can do. Where our faith fails in prayer is when we think God has no more resources than we do. When we impose our experience of the impossible with God's ability to do the impossible. When we lay our experience of not being able to move this mountain upon the promises of God and begin to read scripture through our experience instead of reading our experience through scripture. So many times, the key lesson for us, I believe, is here. Many times before we pray about that mountain to be moved, the first thing we need to do is pray that God would give us faith to believe that he can move that mountain. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. I love this passage I resonate with this passage almost on a daily basis. In Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 20, you remember this story. There's a father. He has brought his boy to the disciples who is possessed of an evil spirit.
And it says in verse 20, And they brought the boy to him, to Jesus, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. So this is a mountain this father can not move. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Can you imagine being the father? And so he comes to Jesus, and here's his prayer. But if you can do any, anything, because this is an impossible situation, right? I've been fighting this since he was a child. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Who believes what? That, that anything can be done? No, that Jesus can do anything. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I believe that you can do anything. But I'm really struggling with be- believing you can do this. Help my unbelief. Give me faith to believe. Have you found yourself there in your prayer closet in life? And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. It came out. So go back to Matthew uh, 21. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's the best way to start our prayer time. So Jesus says, believe. When you pray to God, have, have faith when you pray to God, and he will do what was impossible for you to do. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Message this morning, what is faith? We, we really need to understand then what is faith if it's so essential and necessary. And we need a better understanding of faith. In our day especially, we desperately need to understand what faith is. The, the word faith has kind of been tossed around and overused so much so that it's kind of lost its Christian meaning, its biblical meaning, much like the word love has lost its biblical true meaning because it's tossed around and used so much. People say, people talk about faith all the time, but I'm not sure they know what they're talking about. And I'm not sure we know what they're talking about. Faith has become a tagline. It's become a hashtag. People say, have faith. All it takes is faith. Just believe. Even worse, people say, have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself. Well, that's kind of the opposite of what this text is teaching us. We speak of faith, even in the church, as as if faith itself is the answer. As if what we're seeking is faith. As if the, the cornerstone of the Christian life is faith. 
So when, if we're not careful with our language and application of it, our language replaces God and Christ with faith. As if we just need to have faith in faith. So if you just have enough faith and we get sidetracked, what is faith? Well, let's go to that great definition in, the, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. We'll start there. Hebrews 11, verse 1. You can't get any more straightforward than this, can you? We begin with a definition in Hebrews 11, and then example after example after example after example of living by faith to help us understand. But here's the definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. What is faith? The assurance of things hoped for. That, those are the things that God has promised. So the, the absolute assurance that God's promises are true. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So it's the absolute certainty that the things that we are not able to see are actually real because that's what God has said. That's what God has revealed. For by it, verse 2 says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So again, God speaks, things happen. The Word of God was given and the whole universe came into existence so that what is seen, everything in the universe, what is seen was not, was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God started with nothing. And he spoke and created everything. Therefore, you can absolutely trust with absolute certain and conviction and assurance everything that he says. Even if you can't see it. Even if we haven't grasped it yet. We're still longing for it, waiting for it. Faith is the unswerving certainty that what God says in his word is absolutely true in spite of what we see. And God is able to do the impossible. Trusting God. Trusting in his sovereignty. Trusting in his power. Trusting in his will. Trusting in his promises. Trusting in his truth. So the reason we pray about those mountains is because, because, listen very carefully, God is the ultimate cause of their removal. We don't move mountains. God moves mountains. When we speak and when we act and when we live according to his will through our lives, God is the ultimate cause of their removal. And the reason why we must have faith when we ask him and when we pray, is because faith is the instrumental cause. Listen very carefully. In other words, God moves the mountains, but he does so through the faith of his people. God moves the mountains, but he does so through the faith of his 
people. Let's look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19, we've studied this passage, but I wanted to go back to it because it illustrates so well these impossible mountains that we can't move, that only God can move. In fact, I think this was one of our treasure verses. We look in Matthew 19 and and beginning in verse 25, the story of the rich young man that turns away from Christ. And when the disciples heard this, Christ teaching on the impossibility of a rich person entering the kingdom of heaven, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. In other words, being saved, being born again, coming into the kingdom of heaven, that's a mountain you cannot move. It is impossible. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you think, no matter whatever other system you come up with, you cannot move this mountain. You cannot save yourself. But that mountain of unbelief is not impossible for God to remove. That heart of stone is not impossible for God to replace. That veil of blindness is not impossible for God to wipe away. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. It's not impossible for God. With man, this is impossible. What? Being saved. But with God, all things, including that, are possible. So therefore, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing, lest we boast, but it is the work of God. So what's the application? Going back and looking at that first initial mountain that we can't move, which is our salvation. If you are in Christ today, that Everest has already been relocated to the heart of the sea. (laughs) That mountain that you could never move is already gone. That mountain of unbelief is already gone. Now there's these little, these smaller mountain ranges that seem so big. That thing in your life today that seems impossible. That's just a fig tree. That's just a fig tree. Compared to the mountain of spiritual death that God has already cast away. Believe Trust in him, rely upon him, stand upon God and his word in life and in prayer. And let's see God do what we cannot do. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.